Zechariah chapter 4, and then put a marker in Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, just as a word of encouragement, when we get to Isaiah chapter 40, you'll know it's almost over. Okay? Um, Zechariah chapter 4. I just love preaching through God's Word. And it's amazing when you go through the Bible verse by verse, through books of the Bible verse by verse, how God has you in the right place at the right time. It's, it's amazing, and you'll see that this morning. Um, this evening is our fall kickoff, and the purpose of the fall kickoff is to let you know what we have planned for the fall. Fall's a big time in ministry, and just some of the things that God is leading me and the other men of the church to see happen here at Grace Baptist, and I hope that you'll be here tonight to see it. But when you read our passage today, you're going to see how just God always has us in the right place. So let's look at it. Zechariah chapter 4 and look at verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study your word. Lord, we need you desperately. And Lord, what an appropriate text for today. Lord, we're very thankful for you and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Zechariah chapter 4, remember where we are. We have come through... Chapters 1 through 3, where God is telling Israel that He's not done with them. Haggai has prophesied to them, finish building the temple. And now Zechariah comes. He starts a month or so after, Zech, after Haggai did, saying, now continue and finish building the temple. So what's going on in this text? This passage, this passage is a message to the people of Israel and it's proof that the visions from God are ultimately practical. These visions from God are ultimately practical. And we're going to see how practical that is in a minute. So this, this passage is proof the visions from God are practical. Then number two, this passage was a message to Zerubbabel. Though the obstacle seems great though you've come back to a nation that has been completely destroyed, a city that is nothing but rubble, and the temple that you're supposed to build has not been completed. It's a message to him that God will complete and fulfill his promises. What an encouragement that is. Listen to what uh, Ezra 5.2 says, Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of uh, Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, with them, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. So Zerubbabel was the governor that God had put over Israel. Joshua, we've looked at in the last chapter, was the high priest. And God had appointed them to finish and to complete the temple, and the prophets of God were with them. What prophets? Haggai and Zechariah. They were there to encourage the people, but not only encourage the people, but to encourage the leaders. To encourage the leaders. Do you know that your leaders need the encouragement of God? Your leaders. They need the encouragement of God. they got to have it. We have to have direction from God. And where do we get that direction? From the prophets of God. Now, we don't have prophets walking around the room. We have 
the prophets that are written in the Word of God. And we get our encouragement from them. So this was an encouragement to uh, Zerubbabel. Now, Haggai 2.2 says this, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, uh, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Haggai is, God tells Haggai to tell Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and the residue of the people, just those few people that had come back into Israel with them. Listen, we're going to rebuild the temple. But look at it now. Compared to what you saw before, it's nothing. And so now Zechariah says, despise not the day of small things. Despise not the day of small things. That's a very practical message that God was giving to Joshua. What is the content of the message? Look back at Zechariah, verse 10. Um, Look at verse 9 again. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Then look at what it says in verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? So what he's saying is, look, all you're seeing now is the foundation of the temple. All you're seeing now is a great obstacle, this mountain before you. That's all that you're seeing. And God is telling him that in the midst of this smallness, that the time had not yet arrived for the full manifestation of God's power. But God was still at work on behalf of his people. Let me, let me say this. I'll get to it in a second. The character of the moment demanded dependence upon God and confidence in Him. Have you ever been in one of those moments? The character of the moment demanded confidence in God and in His Word. What was the moment? They're back in the land and it's destroyed. There's only a remnant of the people. And God has said, I am going to rule and reign from this place. And they look around and say, what? And we can look around and we can say, look, God wants to do something in Sydney, Ohio. God wants to do something in Piquan and Troy. God wants to do something in the surrounding communities. God wants to do something in Anna and McCartyville. God wants to do something. And we look around and we say, we're so small. You ever go out in the community and you feel alone? You're trying to stand for the Lord. You're trying to live out the Christian life. You're trying to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. And you're saying, look at all of this. See, this is not only a message to Zerubbabel. It's a message to us. God wasn't done with Israel, and God's not done with us. The character of the moment also demanded the completion of the small things. The completion of the small things. You know, I, I think about this. Anybody here ever read through the Bible? Yeah. And you get through Exodus. You get to the end of Exodus. And it says, And the harp shall be this. And this bowl shall be this. All of one work. All of one piece of gold. And you're reading all these little details. All these little details. And what was that? 
That was, all, that was the requirement of God for the temple. And so you've got this workman. Do we have anybody here that you work with your hands? That's what you do? You work with your hands. And you have this job. You're given this task. Imagine the guy whose task it was to build the laver. And what was that for? That was where the, 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 the ceremonial cleansing would take place. And it had to be all of one piece. And so he's there working on this little thing over and over again, day after day after day after day. And many, many workers of great skill and people who were just common laborers all came together to accomplish this. And their little part came together. What happened at the end of the little part? God's glory, God's glory came down and filled the place in such a way that there wasn't room for anything else. What was that? That was small things. That was small things. You see, this is a message to us. Despise not the day of small things. Go to John chapter 6. I want you to see something. God uses the small. God uses the small. Um, Some of you are thinking, you're just saying this because you're short. Look at what the Bible says in John 6. Before we get there, I want to say this. It is easy to serve God when He is obviously working in great power. Did you all hear that? It is easy to serve God when He's obviously working in great power. Everybody likes to be a part of the next great thing. Anybody wish that you had invested in Apple 20 years ago? Right? Microsoft 30 years ago. So everybody wants to be a part of the, of the next great thing. It's hard to keep chipping away when you can't see the results. The missing component when this happens is faith. It is the firm belief that the one who is invisible is working that keeps us going in the small things. We have to do that. We have to do that. Now look at John chapter 6. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. I, the questions of God. I want you to think about something. God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. How many of you ever asked this to your kids? Why did you do that? And what's the, what's the answer? I don't know. I, I just did it. I, God never asks us a question that He doesn't already know the answer to or what He's going to do. Now, sometimes we're hard on the disciples. But imagine there's thousands of people and Jesus comes to you and He says, how are we going to feed all these people? Laura's getting the food ready for the kickoff. And I would imagine, I was gone, but I would imagine that earlier in the week... She was very busy and probably somewhat frantic getting the food together for all of you. Come eat it. It's going to be awesome. Football food. Amen. If you're a health nut, put that aside. We're having football food tonight. Now, imagine, though, 
if you had to do that with no preparation. The people are there, and Walmart's not down the street, and God says, how are we going to feed them? And look at what the answer is, Philip. And Philip, verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Okay, so now, here, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Andrew comes and says, Well, I've got this kid. He's got five barley loaves and two fishes, but what's that? What's that going to do? What does Jesus do? How many of you know the answer already? Okay, so let's, let's look at it. And Jesus, verse uh, 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. So what happened? How many of you think it would be pretty cool to see Jesus feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes? How many of you think that would be cool? You know what would be really cool? To be the lad that was there. Now, he's just a kid. His mom probably packed him a lunch before he left. And he's going, and he's got this bread, and he says, Jesus, there's 5,000 people out there. 5,000 men, plus the women and children. So what would that be? 5,000, 10,000, maybe 15,000 people there? And Jesus has this little kid. He says, here you go, Jesus. Here you go. I love it. Look at what it says. I want you to see this. God uses the small. God uses the small. Look at verse 7 or verse 8, verse 9. There is a lad here. There is a lad here. Jesus uses the one who's available. He uses the one who's available. Jesus didn't call Aunt Millie's and say, can you bring us some bread? Right? What did he do? He used what was available. Now, how many of you think that Jesus could have fed them out of nothing? He could have, but he didn't choose to do that. He chose to use the small, the lad. God, how many of you believe that God wants to save the whole world? How many of you believe the Bible says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Matthew or Mark 16, 15. We all believe that, right? Anybody done it yet? 
Who here has preached the gospel to the whole world? You know what the good news is? Jesus doesn't expect you to preach the gospel to the whole world. He expects you to preach the gospel to the person next to you. What is that? That's the small thing. That's the small thing. How has God chosen to do the work of God? Through the people of God. Um, William Carey, great missionary. He's called the father of modern missions. He's a Baptist missionary, went to China, preached the gospel, translated the Bible into who knows how many different languages. It's just amazing to see what God did through William Carey. Well, William Carey translated the Bible into, uh, I said China, India. William Carey translated the Bible into 27 languages and 40-some different dialects. Anybody here capable of that? Who here would struggle to copy it down in English? Right? That's me. Well, I can't do what William, William Carey did. You know what I could do? I can do that. How many of those do you think it took to have that Bible put into 40 different dialects? A lot. Would you all agree with that? A lot. I wonder how many millionaire benefactors he had. Not very many. Not very many. When Adoniram Judson went to Burma to preach the gospel in Burma, he had a friend that went on the ship with him named Luther Rice. Luther Rice got there on the, on the ship on the way over. They were both trained as congregational ministers. On the boat on the way over, they studied baptism in the Bible, and they saw that what they had been taught was wrong, and they became Baptists. When they got to there and they wrote a letter back to the United States that they had become Baptists, they lost every dime of support. So Luther Rice came back to America and traveled America and raised the funds for Judson to be able to be on the field and end up leading thousands and thousands of people to Christ. So we know about Judson. In a lesser way, we know about Rice. We don't know anything about the widow that took the money out of her drawer and gave it to Rice for the mission work. What was that? That was the small thing. That was the small thing. You know, we have church service. We live in a culture where, where people expect things to be, the public facilities to be clean. Would you all agree with that? The person who cleans the bathroom so that when you invite the guest and they go into the bathroom and it smells nice. How many of you understand there's another option there? Right? So they go in there and it smells nice. The person cleaning the bathroom may think that's a small thing. That's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. The person that vacuums the floor. The person that changed the light, changes the light bulbs. While I was in um, Ireland... Uh, Jerome Pittman, our missionary there, he said people, preachers all over Ireland listen to the audio of Grace Baptist Church. They couldn't listen to that if there wasn't somebody back there recording it well. 
person on the soundboard, that may seem like a small thing. It's not a small thing. It's a huge thing. What about you? What about you? You know that most people come to church because somebody they know invited them? Somebody they know. Most people stay in church because they get involved in some kind of a class where they have an interaction with someone. The, the person that sits down next to the visitor and chats with them, that small thing, that small thing. I love it when I see a young person come in and immediately there is one of our other young people there with them. I saw Sarah do that the other day, Sarah Clayton. It is such a blessing. And here's what we think. That's a small thing. That's a small thing. No one wants to be alone. No one wants to feel like the outsider. That small thing is when you sit down next to that guest and you become their friend. And you having brushed your teeth before church was a small thing that becomes very important at that particular moment. And the people said, Amen. Amen. You know, when you're talking to someone and they can actually see your breath and it's not cold out, that's a bad thing. How about close talkers? Right? Come here, Jake. Close talkers. Hi. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're backing up and, they're keep, and you're up against the wall and the close talker is right there and you're saying, you're in my space. <laughs> That's a small thing. You see, every one of those little small things, good or bad, add up for success or failure in ministry. You know, the Bible talks about it, and I know that you've read the passages in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, that talks about the body and the parts of the body, and there's the comely parts, then there's the uncomely parts. You know, comely parts like your hair, right? But your hair's not needful. It's not needful. Your colon's needful, right? And people spend very little money on their colon. Well... Sometimes it can get expensive. Is that right? And it's so interesting. It's so interesting that I think we all understand that. Have, has anyone ever broken your little toe? Has anyone ever done that? Your toe's a little thing, right? How'd you move? How well did you move at that point? Not well. That's a very small thing. How much money do you spend on your little toe? How much time do you spend thinking about it? How many of you are glad that it works well? Right? What did they used to do in the old days? You know, the, the, the Assyrians would do this. When they, when they conquered an enemy, they'd take the military guys and they'd cut off their thumbs and their big toes. Why? Really tough to fight well without thumbs and big toes. We don't think very much about our thumbs or our big toes. We don't think about those things, but they're vital. They're necessary. Do you know some of you in this church, your big toes? Tristan looks kind of like one. It's just... <laughs> that wasn't kind at all, was it? No, no, hurtful. Some of you, seriously, you're the big toe. You're, you're, you're the vital part. You're, you're the base of what happens in this place, and nobody ever even thinks about you. But you don't really care because you're not doing it for the other people. You're doing it for the Lord. And... This is what this passage is talking about. Despise not the day of small 
things. A ministry is made up of small things, little things. A, you know, a very simple example is we have, uh, we have a, a computer. I have a computer that I work on. It's very difficult to accomplish much in the 21st century in the United States of America without a computer. Would you all agree with that? All right. I am computer illiterate. I am a computer idiot. Right? So I'm thankful that there are people here who know how to handle computers. Pastor Nathan says that I'm technologically cursed. <laughs> but I'm thankful that I, have, I run into trouble with the computer. Pastor Nathan knows how to fix it. If he doesn't know how to fix it, Michael Bermond. <laughs> right? He'll turn your watch into a NASA computer or whatever. And so it's so thankful that we, I'm so thankful that those parts are a part of us. Isn't that a blessing? And the people that God brings to the church. Um, we have this road, is the road over here, the new road? Okay. I'm, I'm spatially challenged. So we have the road project going on out here. Questions that come up with the road project. God brought Justin Yo to the church. He's an engineer for ODOT. All right, he can look at the plans and tell us what's going on. I look at the plans and it looks, you know, like gibberish to me. I don't understand. Well, that, that might seem like a small thing. This is my job, Justin. This is my job. Well, that's a great help to Grace Baptist Church. All of you have something like that. That's why God brought you to this place. Some of you, you might be at a station in life where the only thing you're able to do is pray. Is that a small thing? It's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing. The small. Despise not the day of small things. I believe that God has great things planned for Grace Baptist. I believe that He's already done great things. It's amazing. How about that? Going to Ireland and find out there's people in Ireland listening to the services of Grace Baptist Church. Is that cool? That's what God does. He takes just a small thing and He uses it for great things. But here's the problem. When you're just doing your small thing, you might not know what God is going to take that small thing and make it into. How cool would it have been to be the lad who had the five loaves and the two fishes. God uses what's available, what is made available to him. So this passage was a message to Zerubbabel. This passage is a message to us but this passage is also a message about mountains. Go back with me to uh, Zechariah. So God's going to finish what he said. We know that. Look at verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. So what's going to happen? There's a mountain there. What is the mountain? The obstacle of all the surrounding nations, the obstacle of building the temple, the obstacle of God coming down into the temple. And what does God say? God doesn't say that He's going to remove it. God's saying that He's going to use Zerubbabel to remove it. Do you think Zerubbabel felt that way when he's looking around and the people won't even work? No. That's why those small things became so very important. This passage is a message about mountains. Before the deserts, the mountains seem very tall. I was just in the Alps last week. And it's unbelievable. Now, 
you know, we go to Colorado just about every summer, and it's wonderful to be up in the mountains. But by the time you get to Denver, you're already a mile up, mile-high city, right? You're already a mile up. So when you, by the time you get up into the peaks, we were in, we, we stay in Frisco, and Frisco is at like 9,000 feet. So if you have a 14,000-foot peak, it's still majestic, but you're already up in it. One of the things about the Alps is I don't know what the, the ground level is, but it might be two or 3,000 feet. And then you've got a twelve or 13,000-foot mountain. And you're looking at it. And these things, they're spectacular. You go to the Jungfrau region, you have the Eiger and the monk and the Jungfrau. And you know, the Eiger is the ogre. The monk is the priest that's protecting the Jungfrau, the young maiden from the uh, uh, ogre, the Eiger. Right? I don't know, but that's what they say. <laughs> and you're looking at these mountains, and the idea of actually climbing one of them you know, climb every mountain. And I look at it and I go, not a chance. <laughs> but what the Bible says is that mountain becomes nothing before him. That's what this is a passage about. That's what this passage is about. All these obstacles that seem like great mountains, God can remove those. Now, I sound like Joel Osteen right now, don't I? But it is this is true. God, when it's his purpose, will remove the mountains. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Jesus Christ is coming back. When Jesus Christ comes back, the mountains will be brought low, Jerusalem will be brought up, and will go up into the mountain of God to worship Him. That is the promise that God has made to Zerubbabel, and it is true. This tells us something about mountains. When we look at this community, we say there's no way that we can reach this community. You're right, but you're a small thing. You're five loaves and two fishes. God can take that and do something great with it. That's what He wants to do, and that's what God did with Jerusalem. Go back to Zechariah with me. This passage is a testimony to the fact that God never forgets His ultimate purposes. It's a fact. Look at what it says in verse 10. Verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel hath laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also, what's it say? Finish it. Finish it. Do you know whatever it is that God calls you to do, He will use you to complete that? Your small thing. Your small thing. God will help you to finish it. He never forgets His ultimate purposes. I like 1 Thessalonians 2.4. It says this, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Imagine how privileged that young boy felt to have his five loaves and two fish used for a great miracle. Can I ask you a question? When it was done, do you think he felt like it cost him anything? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. Whatever you sacrifice for the Lord, when you see Him do something great, it's like it was nothing to you. It's like it was nothing to you. I think of you mothers who have given birth. The pain of the birth goes away when you hold the baby. Now, it was rough when you were going through it. It was rough. But somehow, when you're raising the child, that pain fades to the background because of the joy of what God brought from the pain. Right? And all of a sudden, that pain becomes a small thing. That's what God has for us. We bring what we have. He makes it available. We make it available to Him. And God takes it and makes something great from it. Um, then, I like it when it says this. Uh, look at verse 9 again. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. Bible prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, is the greatest evidence of the power of God and the truthfulness of God's Word. Uh, all these other religious books, they don't have the prophecy that the Bible has in it. The specific details, why? Because if it's not true, then you know that the book's false. And they don't take that chance. The Bible is full of prophecy. And God says, when my prophecy is fulfilled, then you'll know. You'll know that I'm the one who sent you. You know, God has sent you into the world. And if you'll go and you'll tell people about Jesus, they'll get saved. And when they get saved, then you'll know that God's word is true. When you give money to missions, when you give money to the work here, and you say, well, my money doesn't matter. My, my, you don't have any idea what God's going to do with that. You don't have any idea. But if you don't give, then the work can't be done because God has chosen to do the work through His people. You know, God called me to preach. God made it to where the only thing that I can do is talk. And God said, I want you to take that talking and give it to me. Well, if I didn't surrender to preach, all right, God would still have a preacher. Y'all believe that? But I wouldn't get the blessing of seeing some of you saved or your lives influenced. Man, there's nothing better than that. If I was off selling somewhere, making money, I, I was a pretty good salesman. That's, you know, the gift of gab. I always said, why work when you can sell? Amen? If I was off making money somewhere, I wouldn't know what it was like to see your lives change through the preaching of God's Word. So I take the little ability that God has given me to talk and I give it back to Him and then He takes it and it didn't cost me anything. It didn't cost me anything. God has blessed me beyond measure and that's what He wants to do with your gift. Take your gift that He's given you. Use it for Him that small thing will combine together to become a great and mighty work for Him. Isn't that exciting? That's what God wants to do. His purposes will be fulfilled.
Well, what about your small things? What about your small things? Are you taking the gifts that God has given you and using them for His work? Your talent. What about the voice that God has given you? Are You young people, are you telling your friends? Are you telling the people around you about Christ? Are you taking a stand? Is your life matching what you profess to believe? You folks who go into the workplace every day and you work with lost people and you try and have a godly testimony, that little thing, you don't have any idea what God's going to do with that. How many of you were led to the Lord through someone that you work with? Anyone here? You came to know Christ because of somebody you work with. There's at least two people here because of that. And two important people. Some of you are less important. Two really important people. This, it is so wonderful to see what happens just because someone is faithful. Your small things. You might be here today and you might say, you know what? I, I can't sing like Maureen did a little while ago. But you might say, I can bring my five loaves and two fish. Do you know what that boy did that morning? He went to hear Jesus. Why was he used? He was available. That's it. How many think that that kid had great talent and ability? We don't have any idea. All we know is he was there. That's all we know. And God took what he had and made something great. Look, you say, I might not be one of the disciples. Nobody's going to know my name 2,000 years from now. But I could be that lad. I could be there. That's the small thing. Despise not the day of small things. Your presence matters. Did you hear what I said? Your presence, being here, that matters to someone. What you have, your giving, your giving, it matters to God's work. It matters. Oh, my little bit doesn't. It matters. Your service, your labor, the light bulbs, the clean building, the clean windows, the clean parking lot, the... Those things matter. The grass, the landscaping, those things matter. It's our testimony in the community. Those things, they matter. Amen? They matter. Every little bit of it matters. You Sunday school teachers that serve and you invest in those kids for years and years and years and years, it matters. Do you realize how many people come to the Lord Jesus Christ as children? Something like 85%. What you're doing, your labor, your wanna, it matters. You nursery workers, it matters. Somebody in a clean and loving place for someone to leave their children, they come up here and hear the preaching of the Word of God. It matters. It matters. You men, your study of the Word of God, it matters. Because we need other men in this place to teach and communicate God's Word. Amen? It matters. Your readiness, it matters. The small things. Every head bowed. Every eye closed.